0: Thank you, Nathan. Um, so we're going to do what we normally do and read a passage of Scripture. It's going to go right along with our lesson this morning. We're talking about sanctification, biblical sanctification. What does it look like uh, and what is it What is it not? We'll have a little video clip. This morning is uh, shorter uh, than normal. It's only about a minute long. We normally do, you know, three minutes to five minutes, something like this. Um, but... Uh, but it's by Sinclair Ferguson, and so the accent in the one minute's worth five minutes of listening to to me talk. Um, so uh, it's it, it'll be good to introduce our our topic the, this morning. Um, before we do that, I want to want to tell you something that you really need to sign up for, um, and I don't say this lightly. We got a Truth and Life conference coming up. This is the third. Uh, we call it a biblical counseling conference, but in reality, it's it's practical theology, it's discipleship, it's it's church life. And this year, uh, beyond any of the others, we're dealing with something that applies to everybody: uh, God's will. Okay, um, so we've got both uh, Stuart Scott and Kerry Hardy coming. Um, if you've went through premarital counseling with us, you know that you read Stuart Scott's Exemplary Husband uh, book. Stuart's been at Masters Seminary for years, been involved in counseling. He's uh, uh, works with uh, with ACBC and has been there for, for quite some time. Carrie Hardy uh, used to um, used to teach uh, counseling program. Uh, at uh, at Grace Community Church, uh, did for Shepherd Seminary, and now he's part of Expositor Seminary. The church is so he teaches a biblical counseling class there. But but Kerry also is a just a, a great friend and a, um, a faithful churchman and pastor in uh, in North Carolina. So he's going to be with us uh, as well. So uh, session one is behind the scenes belief and practices uh, concerning God's will. There's a lot of different ideas out there. Uh, session two is determining God's will. Um, session three, what not to do. I think I need that session. Uh, session four, what to do, and then the heart and God's will. Carrie will will do on on Sunday, Sunday afternoon. Um, God's will, dependence or deliverance, and then prayer. Where does prayer uh, work into in in God's will? So it's not just for you; it's also for uh, your wives your friends your relatives otherwise so invite uh, some folks to come um, you won't uh, you won't be sorry be do great help to your own uh, sanctification open your Bibles to uh, Romans 6 Romans 6 we're going to read this passage that you may have memorized and we're reading it because we're talking about uh, Sanctification, becoming like Christ. And this passage is is right in that wheelhouse. Let's read. Then we'll pray. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase or abound? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. So that the result of that, as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk, might live, might operate in newness of life. New person, not the old one. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. And I would say, hallelujah, wouldn't you? Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life that He lives, He lives to God. Even so, Consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And there in verse 11 is the process of sanctification. To consider yourselves to be dead to sin, even though you still live in a fallen world, even though you're not completely redeemed, you still have the unredeemed flesh to to deal with. And so the key word there is to reckon or to consider, to to calculate, to understand that you are no longer a slave to sin. Sin tempts you, but it's no longer your master. So consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God. And that's a process that you go through Uh, from the moment of regeneration until glorification. The moment in which new life has been given to you by Christ until the point that the last vestiges of sin are removed, even from your body and even from, even from your, your heart, and you'll be with him. That process in between is what we're talking about in, in sanctification. Um, and it is a battle for your souls, gentlemen. It's not something that you're passive in. As we're going to see before we're done with this study, it's, it's not uh, quietism of let go and let God, you know, uh, like a frog on the lily pad. Um, You just kind of om, and Jesus just sanctifies you. The Apostle Paul said that it's to labor to the point of exhaustion. You fight sin like the enemy um, that it is, not only the enemy that that your Savior defeated, but the enemy that can still um, bring you down. And bring others down. And the process, Paul describes right here. You consider yourselves to be dead to sin. You go back to the gospel. You go back to your justification. You are in Christ. You are dead to the power of sin. What he accomplished is completed and never to be undone. Um, And then you're alive to God. Look at verse 12. Therefore... Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of righteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness. You see sanctification there? Don't do this, do this. It's hard to do that sometimes, isn't it? And so that's why we're we're in the middle of this study. So let's pray. And we'll watch our watch our video and uh, we'll start. We're going to be on page 115 in our Grace and Granite books this morning. Um, and you had a little bit of homework that we'll talk about on page 116. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for for Christ, I thank you like these men who are here um, for the work that he completed, that he accomplished. I thank you for the, the holy passions and desires that you have given us by your Spirit. And yet, like these men, Lord, uh, I desire even this day to live for you, to, to yield my mind, my affections, my will, my uh, as a As a slave of righteousness, as your servant, and I do not desire to obey the the passions and the lusts and the desires of self and, and sin and and Satan. And so we together will will battle in that process. and we ask for your help. We ask that you would uh, you would illuminate your truth this morning. Teach us something, Father. Give us something, even in this hour from your word, that will help us in that battle uh, today. Thank you, Father, for these men. Um, who have come out this morning to to love you, um, to be loved by you, and I pray that you'll bless uh, in all that's said and done in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I
1: think the the best place to go for a kind of one-sentence answer to that is Philippians 2, 12, and 13.
0: Okay, can you start where that Paul again and let them see the question?
1: The Christians to work out their salvation. I well, think the, the best place yeah, to go start goal for a kind of one-sentence answer to that is Philippians 2, 12, and 13, where Paul urges the Christians to work out their salvation, which is not working up their salvation, but working out the salvation <clears throat> that God has already worked in. He says, work out your salvation in fear and trembling because it's God who is at work in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So we fulfill all the responsibilities that God has given to us in his word as we trust in Jesus Christ and seek the help of the Holy Spirit to fulfill that. So there's an integrated relationship. But we're never in a position where we can say, oh, that was the Holy Spirit, and oh, that was me, because... What we do is always the fruit of the spirit of what He is.
0: That last part is why I showed you that video. In your sanctification, there's never a moment where you say, oh that was the, the Holy Spirit, oh no that was was me. Your effort is is always the work of the, the Holy Spirit through you. So even as we said last week, who's responsible, for your sanctification. You or God. And the answer is yes. Um, it is synergistic. Salvation is monergistic. Salvation is an act of God. Where he grants you spiritual life. But sanctification is synergistic. It's, it's your effort. And it is the work of the spirit. Woven together. And what comes through that. What comes out of that. Is this overcoming of sin. And the forming of Christ. In you, and so on page 115, we're talking about sanctification, be becoming like Christ. And sanctify—the word sanctify means to be set apart. In, in essence, it's a change that that takes place. It's a continuing change worked by God that your effort is part of, freeing us from sinful habits and forming Christ-like affections in us. Wouldn't it be wonderful at the moment of salvation that the, all of the power of sin, all of your sinful habits, everything that you did before the, that you learned to do, wouldn't it be wonderful, if, poof, that was all gone? Uh, I would love that, but that's not the way that God has chosen to work. We're dependent then on him, even in sanctification. We go through, we go through a process. And so regeneration is birth. Sanctification is growth. And uh, something that, that will, will help you know um, the difference between those two and what should be normal in a Christian life is you just think about a tree or think about a plant. Whatever is alive grows. If you had a, uh, a, a, an evergreen tree in um, maybe somebody uh, you, know, you bought for your landscaping um, and it was in a little pot from Lowe's, and you didn't get it put in the ground, and so you left it in that little plastic you know, pot that they have, and you left it on your, your back porch, um, and it turned completely brown, um, and it sat there for, let's say, uh, all summer long, all winter long, you would look at that and say, you know, that tree is, is alive. If it didn't show signs of life, if it didn't grow, same way. Let's say you took that tree and you put it in the ground, and you you left it there for five years, and it never did anything, you wouldn't assume that tree was alive. Well, it's the same way in your Christian life. Whatever is 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 alive grows, and so you can't have spiritual life in you, and growth not not happen. Now that growth may be may be incremental in your life. It, You may look at somebody and say, wow, they're really growing. And then you may look at your own life and say, I don't don't see a whole lot of growth. Be encouraged if there's life there, if there's any growth, because that means you're in Christ. (laughs) But to the extent in which you pursue the Lord, there's a correlation between that and how much you grow. And so we're called to to go after it, um, if you will. So last time we looked at, so what does this look like? How do I recognize... Change. What is change involved? If sanctification is change, if sanctification is growth, what does it look like? What does it not look like? What does it involve? And so last time we talked about that true sanctification involves repentance. So true sanctification, number one, can be explained both negatively, what it's not, and positively, what it is. So we talked about what sanctification is not. It's not just the relief of trials. It's not produced by passion and and feeling. Sanctification is the forming of Christ in you, produced as we conform to the Scripture by by faith. And so we looked at a number of passages. Um, That happens battling the way God commands, abandoning self, uniting faith with hearing, and then understanding God's... God's sovereign hand. He allows trials. He uses trials. So here's your homework. Number two, true sanctification engenders true repentance. But false repentance bears the the following marks. How do you know? Let's say you're discipling somebody and they're telling you, I've repented. How do you know? Whether you really have you ever heard this? when somebody talks to you about their sanctification or their growth or their dealing with sin, they say you can't see my heart. You don't know what's going on in your heart. Have you ever had that struggle? Somebody says to you, "I believe I repented," uh, you know, or or I'm, I'm, I keep falling to this. I'm struggling, you know, with with this. How do you know whether it's a genuine battle and struggle with sin, or whether it's false it's false repentance? They're saying one thing, but their life looks completely different. They they, they keep going back to the, you know, to the hog trough of sin. You can't see their heart, can you? No, you can't. I mean, you can't see their motives. We're, we're told not to even judge somebody's motives. You, you don't, you can't see inside. So, has the Bible given us anything to be able to look at our own hearts, or to be able to look at the hearts of somebody else that we're discipling, and say, "Ah, right there, that's that's the fruit of repentance. That's that's real biblical repentance, not just." Saying we have fellowship with him, yet walking in darkness. Because what does John say whenever we do that? We say, I'm right with God, I have fellowship with God, everything is right with God, yet I live my life in darkness. What's the Bible say? That I'm a carnal Christian? I lie and do not the truth. That's the way I memorized that. It's right there. So Jesus talks about you'll know them by their fruits. It's not just what we say, but, but what we do. Now, we've already talked about this, but it's a good point to say. You can't back into that. You can't start doing righteous things and back into your relationship with God. Your relationship with God is established through regeneration, through Christ, through salvation. But then when spiritual life comes, then that changes the way that you live. There's biblical fruit that comes from that. And so you can't say... You have fellowship with God. I'm right with God. I I love Christ. I'm His. I've died to sin and then live in it. Now, does that mean that the Wesleyans are right? There's a a place of, of complete sanctification because I'm in Christ. I'll never sin again. And will you struggle with sin? Yes, you will. And that's what we're talking about, the struggle, the battle. But the battle comes from desire and then you make progress in that in that battle. Might be incremental, might be really small, might come in fits and starts. But there is life there. So true sanctification, what will that look like? It will it will have repentance. So what is repentance? What what marks will be there? Well we're gonna look at that in a minute, but let's 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 look at some false marks of false repentance somebody look up uh hebrews twelve seventeen and uh somebody look up psalm fifty one four who will look up twelve seventeen rich you do that for me uh who will look up fifty one four okay Russ bitterness towards god hebrews twelve fifteen all right and then who had their hand up uh, right here okay you would you do uh, psalm thirty two four now, here's what we're listening for, listening to these verses. We're listening for marks of false repentance. False repentance bears the following marks. So, what does, it, what does it look like? All right? Hebrews twelve seventeen.
2: For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it in tears.
0: Okay, who's that talking about? Esau. So afterwards, he sought repentance, and there was an evidence of, of, of tears. So, A, false repentance bears the following marks. The first one is mouthing confession, but without true change. I mean, that's not a picture of God saying, Esau going, genuinely repenting, and God saying, nope, too late to repent, not going not to accept you. That, that's not the point. The point is false repentance. God knew Esau's heart. He, he knew that this wasn't about I've sinned against you, God, and, and I'm genuinely uh, repentant of that. He knew that 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 Esau was was like was like Saul, saying one thing, but but actually his motives revealed another. So so the first mark of false repentance is is mouthing confession, but without, without true change. Look at number two, or B. Psalm 51-4. No genuine hatred of sin. Who had Psalm 51-4? Russ?
2: Against you, hmm. you only have I sin and done this evil in your eyes, in your sight.
0: Against you, and you only have a sin and done evil against you. So this is David, this is after the sin of Bathsheba, and this is one of the, the penitential psalms, Psalm 51. So what is David saying there, that he didn't sin against Uriah or Bathsheba? Is it saying that our sin is only against God, that it really doesn't matter what we do to other human beings? The answer is that is no, obviously. So what's the emphasis there? What is David trying to... To say
3: that the, the root okay. of his sin uh-huh. lay in his relationship or fellowship with God. Okay. Had his fellowship with God at that time been as it would have, he would not have. Yeah. So, so the, the primary one that he attended
0: Okay, now that now you're getting getting where I wanted you to go, David is talking about the vertical aspect of of sin. The any offense that you commit toward another human being is an offense. But before you realize how great that offense is to another human being, you have to realize how how great your offense is was to was to God. And so David is focusing on it. David comes to genuine repentance. And when you come to genuine repentance, you realize that your sin is not primarily, secondarily yes, but not primarily against another human being. It's primarily against your creator. You see your sin in light of of where you stand before God. And so one of the marks of false repentance is no genuine hatred of sin. I can be sorry for what I did. I can be sorry that I got caught. I, I can even have an um, uh, emotional reaction. I wish I hadn't done that. But that's not the same as saying and realizing that you sinned against God. It's different. No genuine hatred of sin against you. Evil in your sight. All right? Hebrews 12.15. False repentance bears the following marks.
4: See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled.
0: Okay. Read that for us again. 12.15.
4: See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled.
0: Okay. No root of bitterness. So one of the... The evidence of one of the marks of false repentance is bitterness. And bitterness in particular toward God. So what does it look like to have a root of bitterness? To be bitter toward, toward God? How, how does that show up in, in repentance? Excuses. Okay. <clears throat> Excuses. Blaming. Blaming. Uh-huh. Ah, yeah. yeah.
5: Like in the, the parable, one of the parables of the talents. You
0: know. Yeah, so absolutely. You're
5: a hard master, so yeah. I'm just gonna do very little. Yep. That's
0: exactly right, Russ.
5: I was bad, but he was worse
0: than me. Mm, okay. I was bad, but he was worse than me. That's good. Yeah.
4: Anytime we blame our sin or our circumstances, it's
0: because are the by God. Repeat that because that's good.
4: Uh, Any blame our sin on our circumstances, and because our circumstances come from God.
0: Yeah, so that last part's the connection. The world blames their sin on their circumstances, but the point is, as a Christian, or somebody who, who, who knows what's what's biblical, you know God is the one who's in control of your circumstances, so you end up blaming God. You backdoor blame God for for the circumstances, which kind of goes with what David you know, was, and Russ were saying, that you, you're... All right, God, you're the one who... Oh, you could have stopped me from sinning. You could have stopped these circumstances. The reason I ended up doing this is because that you, and you get bitterness. Mark?
2: You question outcomes. Ah. Uh-huh. Uh, seems to be a, a
0: theme
2: that in enable mm. the situation. Uh, David and Saul. Um, Israelites and Moses and the grumbling. Mm-hmm. Questioning the sovereign work of God. And we're, the reason resentment seems to me like resentment is such a big issue is that you feel like you've been treated unfairly by God. Right. That's
0: it.
2: And, uh, and so I think that, that we start questioning outcomes of life, and that's not what we're in control of.
0: Yep. And if you want uh, a lesson on that, read the book of Job, you know, one of the four wisdom books. Um You look at the difference between the way Job's wife responded and the way Job responded. So anytime you get into the realm of fairness, this is not fair, um, and you you equate fairness to God, you evaluate God by some standard of fairness, uh, it's arbitrary and it's going to lead to to bitterness. It's going to ultimately question his character, Um, whether it's character in how he's bringing about your circumstances, or, or otherwise,
2: prayer not being answered.
0: Prayer not being answered. I mean, ultimately, the root's unbelief, and unbelief specifically about the character of God, and that leads to bitterness. Believing wrong things about God, believing wrong things. Period, will lead to bad fruit in your in your life. Um, so remember, the purpose that, of the Bible is not just to tell us what to do. It tells us what to do. There's plenty in there to tell us what to do. Right, wrong, black, white. Obey my law. This is my law. Don't do this. Do this. But the majority of the Bible tells us how to think. And in particular, what to think. We are so broken by the fall. If God did not tell us who he was, who we are, how to look at life, we would be lost. I mean, that's the point of the Bible. Renew the mind. Don't be conformed. There's an agenda. It's trying to teach you how to think about life and about God in the culture. It's trying to conform you into its mold. But you you renew your mind. How do you do that? You think rightly. How do you know what is right? Well, God, who's the creator, who's good and perfect and loving and kind and just and holy and all those things, he tells us what's right and what's wrong, how to think about ourselves and others. And then you go through the process of submitting yourself to what it says, even if you don't like what it says. And at times, even if you don't understand what it says, listen, don't get concerned that there are certain things about God that you can't understand or it seems like you can't reconcile in the Bible. It's a good thing that God knows more than you and you can't figure him out, right? It's, that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. Just submit to whatever he says and say, I don't know, but God does. And, and I trust him. But that's what the text says. So submit to the text. Uh, let's look at the last one. This is interesting. Because this 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 can really hit home. False repentance bears this mark. Psalm 32 4. For day
4: and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained the summer heat.
0: So that's David. Day and night your hand was heavy on me. And he's talking about what's going on when he refused to repent. So, God's hand is, is pressing on um, The most miserable times in your life, in my life, in anybody's life, especially a Christian, is when God's hand is on you. He's putting his finger on something in your life, and he's doing that to get you to repent. And you refuse. You, you become calcified through your sin. You don't want to do it. It's hard, whatever it is. and And... You can get away from other people, you can run from church and other Christians, but you can't get away from your conscience and God, can you? And so that's what David is saying. Day and night, your hand was heavy on me. And the Lord is very gracious. He only puts just enough pressure to turn you to him. I mean, he's not a harsh master, as David said earlier. Just enough pressure to get you to turn. But if you won't turn, he loves you enough to just keep pressing, doesn't he? keep pressing. Keep pressing. And the longer you stand under that pressure, now the next verse is great because David says, "Then I confess my sin to you." And the Hebrew is like a damn burst. Well, what's what's burst, bursting there is is this is this conviction, you know, that I need to do right. And then there then there's a doing of right. Uh, no, you talk about happy day, <laughs> happy day whenever we submit to the Lord. Um, he floods your soul with joy, and he does that immediately. But notice what, what we're looking at here. We're looking about a false mark. So how do you know whether you've repented? Whether well, there can be a countenance or a disposition that hasn't changed. You're mouthing the right things. You're saying the right things. But, but there's still, a, there, there's still a, um, a bitterness towards the Lord. or there's, there's still a frustration towards the Lord. There's still something there. And you'll get into this a lot especially either as Christians or people that have been raised in the church and know the right things to say. So intellectually, in their conscience, they've been instructed to know what the Bible says. They know what's right and they know what's wrong. So their conscience is, is instructing them. But your conscience doesn't change you. It just gives you a moral standard that you have, you've bought into right or wrong. So you've been taught this way. But you really don't want to do that. And so you're battling. You can't get away from your conscience. And so they'll, you'll see it. They'll go through this process that they know what's right, but deep down they don't want to do what they know to do. And so ultimately they'll come to the place either of submitting to that or they'll bolt, which is usually what happens. Wrestle, 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 months and months and months. No change. You know, take, take one step forward and then one step back. And they're no different after six months of, of discipleship or counseling or talking to their pastor or whatever it is than they were when they started. And a lot of times that's what's going on. They know what, what's right. Conscience has been instructed, but deep down they don't want to do it, and they're battling with, um, with God. So a countenance or disposition that hasn't changed can be an evidence of... of uh, that repentance really hasn't taken place, even though you're saying the right things and you know uh, the right things. Any questions about any of that? Comments about that?
4: Yeah. yeah so, um, just with repentance, sanctification, mm-hmm. um, I know there are terms thrown around, mm-hmm. so what, how do you are uh, periods of spiritual stagnation, mm-hmm. periods of backsliding, are those legitimate sure. things to happen or are they just excuses for obstinacy?
0: Um, yes, they happen um, for sure in my life and yours and otherwise. And, and we talked about sanctification. Uh, do I want to say this? I mean, if you want to uh, you look at the stock market. You know how it's just it, it goes up and down, but it's constantly going up over years. I don't want to compare sanctification to the stock market, but the point is, you know, it's not like you know, you start here, and you're there, and you just kind of fly all the way to glorification. You know, you, you go up and then you fall down, you go up and then and then you fall down. But 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 if you look at your life as a whole, there should be a genuine. There should be a uh, uh, an upward progression. Um. And so that can happen through, through stagnation, uh, that can happen through circumstances. That's where God's, God's keeping the perseverance of the saints. Is, you know, his keeping power is wonderful. Um, that's where Hebrews uh, um, you know, 12 comes in with, with the Lord loving you enough to chasten you and discipline you. I mean, you, we say going to the divine woodshed, that's God's grace. Um, and again, he knows exactly the encouragement or the, you know, or the, the stick uh, to poke in there. So, yeah, that's totally le- legitimate. What's not legitimate is for us to use that as an excuse for, for lack of, of effort. So, take hope in that, that you're not perfected yet and you will sin and you'll battle against sin. But the fact that you're battling against sin is an evidence that you're a believer. Unbelievers don't care (laughs) if they sin against God. Um, We care; it grieves our hearts. So, yeah, totally. You know the comments? Yeah, Jim.
4: Yeah, a couple of verses on that. Um, One is that God says, "I will put my Spirit in you Mm -hmm. and cause you to Mm -hmm. walk in my statutes, and you should keep my judgments and do them." And then another one is, "He that began a good work in you." So those two are not the stock
5: market going up, right?
0: Amen. Excellent. Both of those verses are right on Dave.
5: I, I, when we start talking about this battle, I love the thing that R.C. Sproul put out years ago. And he was talking about a student came to him who was really struggling with assurance. Hmm. And, and he said, come on, what's wrong with you? you know, R.C. said to a student who was coming to him down, like, don't you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? And the guy, he's like... <laughs> You yeah, know, he's daughter, and he's like, oh, okay. Well, how about this? Don't you love him enough? Mm. And, of course, the guy's like, no, I don't. And he's yeah. further down. He's about yeah, right. to crawl out of his office in tears. And he says, well, let me ask you one more question. Do you love him at all? Mm. And, um, yeah, that's the gift. Amen. Because I, I don't think we can have any hope.
0: Yeah. Oh, no.
5: If this isn't.
0: Amen. Amen. It's good. It's good. All right. Four critical components to the process of of change. So here's some marks of false repentance: mouthing confession, but no true change ever taking place. No genuine hatred of sin. A bitterness towards God. A blaming of God. Countenance, disposition, the same? It doesn't change. So what does it look like? Well, the first component in the process of true change is recognize, is to recognize and acknowledge guilt. Alright, so now we've kind of moved into a new topic that we haven't talked about yet, which is guilt. Psalm thirty two kind of helped us. Thirty two four, when David's hands David says, your hand was heavy on me. So the first component in the process of true change is to recognize and acknowledge guilt. Eyes open. You realize it. You recognize it. I'm guilty. And, and then you acknowledge that. There are people that are brought to recognize something, but they never acknowledge it. So those two things go together. And that's what's happening Every time that you hear the word preached. I mean, that's the purpose of, the, uh, of preaching. It, not the only purpose. It's one of them. Because God's announcing the truth to us. He's announcing the truth over us. And we acknowledge, that's what you say. I acknowledge that. And then I recognize that. And then I acknowledge that. So the first component or say it backwards. You'll never change. Change will never take place in any area of your life in sanctification until you recognize and acknowledge guilt for sin or, or otherwise. Guilt before God primarily and then also against man. Um, so is that the way, what, is, what does the world say and think <clears throat> um, about sin? What's What's the... The steady stream of uh, of ideals that that come to us about guilt—it's a good thing or a bad thing?
3: Bad thing. Modern psychology. Yeah,
0: it's bad. I'm gonna get rid of that. Yeah. I mean, you're just—you're just. I mean, why would you believe in a god that just makes you feel bad all the time? Because he doesn't leave us there. <laughs> That—that's the—that's the, the the trap of Satan and the. In the, uh, why, why the world's waste is so horrible. The world's waste is don't worry about the guilt, but it never changes anything. It leaves you there. It leaves you in the condition. I, I mean, think about how horrible of a, of a system it is that tells you y- you, you, have a, you have a disorder. and There's no cure for your disorder. You're going to have it the rest of your life. Versus telling that person or helping that person realize that the issue is sanctification or sin or something that you can confess and repent of. Now, who's cruel? I'm telling you that I'm seeing something in your life and you have a disorder and you can never overcome that disorder, ever. You're stuck there. Or somebody who says you can confess that and God can remove that from your life. Well, one may see the, the disorder part may seem like, oh, okay, I figured out my answer. I have, you know, ADHD, E-I-E-I-O, whatever it is. I figured it out. This is why I've been struggling my entire life. Now I have enlightenment. I understand. But now I'm stuck with that the rest of my life. I can never overcome that. I can figure out methods and ways to try to mitigate that, to try to keep it from working in my in my life. But... Or I can take medication, or I can do something else, but I can never fix it. Um, and yet, the Bible has a has a completely different approach. So, guilt is is part of that 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 process of the removal of the world's perspective is guilt is something you're victimized by, something that happened to you. The explanation of guilt is it's your environment, uh, sickness, heredity, ill treatment by others. It's the reason that you, feel, that you feel guilt. And it's primarily a feeling, isn't it? It's not, a, it's not objective. It's subjective. You feel guilty. Um, now, your conscience, as we're going to talk about it at some point, may be hyper. I mean, you may walk around like, uh, you know, pig pen on Charlie Brown. You know, the guy with the dirt cloud over his head. I mean, God doesn't expect you to live that way. But guilt is a tool that God uses. What's the purpose for this guilt? What's the purpose of, the, of God pressing on your conscience and on your soul? It's to drive you to Him. So then you'll confess your sin and, and experience the joy of the Lord. It's a tool to bring about something good, but it's not something to be avoided. Um, now rest assured, if you, if you refuse, then the pressure builds. But even that's God's gracious hand. Look at some of the efforts to deal with guilt. Um, one of the ways that the world tries to deal with guilt is is more sin. Romans Romans one eighteen. You know this one well. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So how? Does the unbelieving world suppress the truth? Unrighteousness, more sin. They, so some of the ways that people try to deal with guilt is, is more sin. Chemicals, drugs, alcohol, pharmaceuticals, whatever it might be, to suppress and dull feelings and, and behaviors. They work temporarily. But they don't bring lasting change. The same problem is is there. Uh, blame shifting. It's their fault. Efforts to deal with guilt. You know you're guilty. Would you blame somebody else? What's an example of that? It's an example of somebody blame shifting. They know they're guilty. Guilt comes. They feel bad for what they did, but then they shift the blame. It's an example of that.
3: He was by parent. My church taught me
0: mm-hmm. uh, they they caused this guilt in me. The- it's good. Yeah, that's exactly right. He made me angry. He made me angry. When I read this and I, I wrote down what's an example of this? Um, my mind went back to uh, convictingly to when I would get angry at one of my one of my children, my Initial reaction was, well, you know, if you hadn't been running around acting like an idiot, then, you know, I wouldn't have flown off the handle or whatever it is. It's flame-shifting, isn't it? Yeah, Jim?
4: Sometimes people blame it on genetics. You okay. They have an alcoholic gene or
0: yeah. a homosexual gene. Yeah, absolutely.
4: I think it's pride.
0: It is? Uh,
2: I think we, we want to exonerate ourselves. Yeah. We, you know,
4: show show yeah. that somebody else's. Is-
0: then remember, guilt's coming. So you know that you're, you're, you're guilty. And one of the ways that you deal with the guilt, rather than owning it, going, you're right. I against God, and I sinned against you, and I need to seek your forgiveness. Rather than owning that. And it's coming at me. I, the guilt's coming. And, you know, I'm, I'm moving it off to one side or the other. Um, I'm figuring out how to blame uh, somebody somebody else. And you know, Jim talked about your genetics, you know, your, your DNA. Um, you all have bad genetics. Everybody in here. The DNA of sin is self. So the fall is in all of us. And it's going to manifest in different ways. But that's not an excuse. It's uh, it's the reason that you do what you do, which can be repented and confessed. Larry? I don't mean <clears throat> Oh, yeah. That, that would be, yeah. Um, you know, let me, the let
4: me just... Society has been very, the society's been very reactive against yeah. because we have handled that wrongly so often.
0: Yeah.
4: For bad threats, not, it has nothing to do with my heart.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and this is, that's a perfect example of how society uh, you know, turns the apple cart over. Because the, the girl is responsible to dress in a way that pleases and glorifies God. So what society says is, well, you, you know, if I walk around half naked, you can't blame, you know, you, you can't blame your lust problem on me. Well, no, you can't. It's your problem. you got to deal with it in your heart. But put some clothes on, right? I mean, it, it's both. So what society says is it, it just, it, it, always, it always leaves, you know, something out. But that is a way to, you know, to, to blame it Well, it's the culture. The culture's so bad today. You know, pornography's rampant today. It's so easily accessed. So that's the reason that, you know, that that I struggle. Have you have you ever read anything historically about Corinth? I mean, there's all manners of... So it's a hard issue, so you can't blame it. Yeah. Somebody else have something? Yeah.
3: Just to say, I was a pastor one time... Who- order to teach his youngest daughter about mm-hmm. dressing modestly, just took her to the mall one Saturday, and they just set out in the mall. And he said, "What are we going to do?" He said, I, want, "I want you to observe the girls that the young men will turn around and look at." Mm. And, it was usually and those who were that, that was helpful, he sir. so that one of the reasons you, as a godly young woman, Wants to dress yeah. in a modest fashion, yeah. just so that you know don't encourage that. Is yeah. it their fault that they're lusty? Yes, but don't, don't be guilty Correct. of encouraging yeah. that, bringing undue attention yeah. to yourself and especially to your body.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a multifaceted sin. Sins happening on, yeah. on, on, on both, uh, on both sides. Um, if you wouldn't have done X, then I wouldn't have responded that way. If you would have done what I said, I wouldn't have got angry. If you would have been a submissive wife, then I, I, I wouldn't have treated you that way. That's blame shifting. I think
4: it's <laughs> super helpful, Pastor Carol, that we make the observation that our gut inclination is going to be to exonerate ourselves. Yeah. humbles <laughs> us. It does. Good. That's what blame-shifting is doing, is it's getting that guilt off of us when, when and you're right. You've got to see it as it's coming to, from God to us that we have to and deal with. It. You know,
0: it's super helpful. It is super helpful. Uh, we're talking about the efforts to, the efforts that the world uses to deal with guilt rather than repent. Confess and repent. Recognize and acknowledge. So we said uh, blame shifting. So look at number four, self-esteem. How does self-esteem play into guilt? I think the parenthesis there explains it more. I'm not as bad as they are. So how does that play out in life? Not really that bad. Huh?
4: Yes, it does. (laughs) Yes, it does.
0: I go back to I mean it wasn't really self esteem but it was a it's a when when I said to Pastor Joe as an unsaved man, what you hear when you witness to people I mean, I'm a pretty good guy. you just drink a beer every now and then, kind of give a shirt off my back i mean i mean I don't like to murder anybody. What am I doing? I'm not as bad as those people those people are the ones that are going to hell. <laughs> we can do that in in the way that we We evaluate and go through the process of sanctification. What's God wanting to do? He wants to make you like Christ. He wants to change you. And and the first thing he has to do is to slay you. I mean, one of the things that, that will motivate you to do something about your sin is to see your sin rightly, which is why Psalm 51 is so important, against you, God, realizing this is not a little issue. It's... It's something attached to your soul that's sucking the life out of you to kill you. I mean, so these are all ways that, that actually remove the work of God when you buy into them. Somebody had a hand up. Yeah.
4: I think, I think this puts in there, but also silencing anybody that would disagree or turn out the Senate,
0: yeah. it's to sin. Yeah. 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 I you remember in the Reformation, uh,. I think it was in Wales. I don't remember the, 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 the preacher's name. I think he's well known. But he was preaching against unconverted men in the pulpit. So obviously, you know, he's, there's a culture of in the church dead. Um, so this guy's going around preaching. You, you probably, if you were one of those dead preachers, you probably wouldn't invite him to preach. <laughs> but so he happens to be in a church. He's preaching about that. I mean, just flaying. Unregenerate preachers in the pulpit and there is a man who's part of the, the the dead preachers that that is that comes to listen to him and he comes up to him after the sermon and says um, well i'm concerned i'm listening to you tonight i'm concerned that you're unconverted and um the man drops to his knees and begins to pray and says away from me i must search my heart um Always keeping what what Paul was saying, always keeping the the attitude that it's more likely than not that I am in sin whenever somebody brings it to my attention than than what the, is placed that the natural inclination is no. not. Yeah. Um, and you can do that. Keep away from people that that are gonna that are gonna tell you something you don't want to hear. What? Defensiveness.
4: Defensiveness. Defensiveness, yeah. So when you yeah. brought up I I I'm quick to defend myself and say, Well, we'll look at you. You know, yeah. like you're pointing this out of my life, well I could I could think ten ways you did this yesterday. Right. Who are you to, you know, say this to me? And that's that's the self
0: You're listening through the echo dot in my home, aren't you? The me and Tracy? I'm <laughs>
4: Yeah, <laughs> yeah <I know. laughs> So It does so it's good. Do that, just the circumstances. I've had a really long week.
0: Yeah, we really don't need this right now. Yeah. <laughs> it is just so normal, unfortunately. we got a long way to go, don't we? Thankfully, all this is happening. Remember, on the platform of justification, you're in Christ. there's no condemnation. God is graciously working this out in you because you're his. He's purchased you his Um, it's a big difference than trying to climb climb the ladder yourself Uh, efforts to deal with guilt self gratification I deserve happiness so guilt must go Um, don't make me feel guilty because I deserve I deserve happiness
3: that's one of the major themes of our culture it
0: is it is Uh, I deserve happiness. Thank God that he doesn't give us what we deserve, right? Look at B. All right, what's the biblical perspective? So we talk about the world's perspective on guilt. Because in change, the first thing that has to happen, the first component of change is to recognize and acknowledge guilt. What's the biblical perspective? Now, this is vital. Guilt is a fact of your legal liability to punishment. Now, what's the emphasis there? I've already said it once. The world looks at guilt like pig pen, dirt cloud, this general feeling that I have to get rid of. It's subjective. But how does the Bible talk about guilt? It's objective. What did Nathan say to David after he he gave him his little poem? You're the man. man. You know what the Bible says? You are the man. It's objective. Guilt is a fact. Now, does guilt produce feelings? Oh, yes, it does. And God uses those. And there can be... Feelings comes from what you understand. You can have a hyper I mean, there's, it's possible to, to have guilty feelings, feelings that, that make you feel guilty that, that, are, that are unreliable. So then you need somebody to help you to sift through. Okay, I mean, should I feel guilty about this or, 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 or should I not? Um, you know, hyper whatever it is. But guilt is a fact of your legal liability to punishment. It's not subject, it's, it's, it's object. It's fact-based. That's why it's so important that God established the law. What, what did Paul, when Paul was talking about in Romans, about, about guilt before the law? Death reigned from Adam to Moses. What, what's he mean? From, from the fall to Moses, people were still guilty before God. It's objective. You're guilty before God. But then the law came... And I heard the law, and then I knew how guilty I was. I'm paraphrasing. Thou shalt not covet. And then what ended up happening in my heart? All manners of covetousness came. See, it was a fact that men were guilty from from Adam to Moses, but the the law came to show us the sinfulness of sin. That's what the Bible is saying. To actually reveal to us. That we are guilty and how guilty we, you know, we are. It's a tool. Isn't that what Paul says in Galatians? The law is a schoolmaster that does what? Leads us to Christ. So God's point of the law is, is, is not to just leave you guilty. That's not the gospel. The gospel is good news. Why is it good news? The good news is because there is bad news. and The bad news is a fact. So it's to lead us to the gospel the good news. Christ died for that, and and he can cleanse you and forgive you. But you'll never come to Christ or have the cleansing and forgiveness until you acknowledge the truth, which is why the law is, is such a wonderful tool. It's legal liability. It's not primarily feeling-oriented. It's true regardless. I mean, think about the world. There's a lot of people in the world don't feel guilty at all. You know what Romans 1 says? That you can get to the point in your sin. Romans 1 talking about homosexuality. You get to the point where you're you don't really care. You even heartily approve the, the world. Of, you know, we, we clap at people that that are objectively guilty. They're going to stand in judgment before God. Why? Because God's the creator and he's declared the law and the standard, and and you can clearly see that, that not only it's not hard to figure out whether they're measuring up. They say, I don't measure up and I don't care. And, and the world gives hearty, hearty approval of it. They don't feel guilty. No guilty feelings. It's objective. Look at one. Guilt is universal. Because sin is universal. And guilt is also specific. Guilt is universal because sin is universal. You know Romans 3.19 and 3.23. twenty three. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's nobody that's not guilty. It's objective. Everybody sinned. But guilt is also specific. I can remember talking to Bailey whenever he was really little. I don't know, three or four. And he said, Daddy, it's not fair that, I mean, Adam's the one that, that sinned. I mean, why, why do I get punished because of what Adam did? And so then I quoted him, you know, Paul in, in Romans 5. So, have you disobeyed mommy or daddy? Yeah. You told a lie? Well, yeah. You, in, you might not have done exactly what Adam did when Adam did it, but you sinned in the likeness of Adam, didn't you? I mean, so general, universal, everybody's guilty, but you can't blame Adam or blame the fall. Because then you're the one you individually choose to sin. So guilt is universal. Guilt is specific. You sin. And sin is serious because God is a holy judge. Romans 1.18 For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Who suppressed the truth? Unrighteousness. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven. From God, God's wrath is coming on all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Sin is so serious because God is is a holy judge. It, it all works together: dumbing God down, dumbing doctrine down, making God, you know, your 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 BFF and your homeboy and all these other things. You know God's friendly, kind grandfather in the rocking chair. What whatever perversion is out there? What's what's the goal? It's to take the edge off of holiness in order to keep you from from repentance. Look at three. Even where the effects of of guilt may be lessened. The effects of guilt, what are the effects? How you feel, the consequences. We can rearrange the deck chairs on the Titanic. We can do something or take something to to lessen the effects of guilt. Even where the effects of guilt may be lessened, guilt remains and can have physiological effects. Uh, we already talked about Psalm 32, 1 through 5. David is miserable. So whenever you're looking at what's going on in your heart and your life, it it maybe it's just simple. Maybe complicated. Maybe organic. You may have a thyroid issue. or You may have, you know, whatever it is. And if so, you can go to the doctor and they'll give you a, a, a test. They can tell. So don't, Always jump to that conclusion. But don't assume it's not there. If it's organic, there's a test that you can take to take. But the effects that you're having, not being able to sleep, uh, you know, the difficulty in your life, whatever it, is, it may just be as simple as you need to repent of sin. And someone may need to help you, you know, in that process. Our inner man uses the information to evaluate our thinking and actions. Your conscience involves. What we know or believe rather than what we feel and feelings are often a result of the operations of conscience but are not identical with them. Think right, do right, do right, feel right. Oversimplistic, but it's a pattern. God helps you think right and the change of mind brings about a change of behavior and a change of behavior brings about joy brings about good feelings that's what's there so any comments or questions about that I'll give you a little bit of homework before next week we'll talk about the conscience a little bit next week yeah mark
2: doctor Hudson just said if you feel guilty you probably are mm. <laughs> he said uh he used to say that there was really no such thing as psychology brought up this whole deal false mm-hmm. Yeah. So even if we were not believing right, we're still guilty of yeah. that. So I can do that. You're not believing right, thinking yeah. right, responding right makes like you guilty. So said yeah. when you feel guilty, try to follow it back to where yeah. you are. Today.
4: Yeah.
0: Yeah, that last part, follow it back, is is important. Um, follow it back to what's the source of the feeling? You know, what's the spark that arcs into this guilt? What what's firing? You know, and that comes back to the conscience, instructed rightly or wrongly, which it has to be instructed by the Scriptures. You may need somebody to help you with that. But I'm feeling guilty. Why am I feeling guilty? Trace that back, um, and as you go in that process, the Lord will show you what the you know, what the source is. So it's good. It's it's a, it's a tormenting thing. And I spent a number of years as a believer early on in you know in a Keswick type of of, of church environment, mystical, um, and. A lot of extra biblical things. This is what it looks like to be a Christian and not. And now all of that. And then I'm, I'm following the, you know, the, the prompting of the Holy Spirit to show me what's right. Um, with being told, you know, this is righteous, and, and it had a lot to do with what you listen to or look at or or do behavioral things. And you put that recipe together, it can be miserable, just miserable. Um, so you may have to sort some of that out. Somebody help you sort some of that out. Um, but that feeling of guilt, that guilt feeling that it's producing, it is helpful in that process. So trace that back to the source. If you don't know how to do that, help some, you know, let somebody help you because it should come back to the source of something objective. This is what God says is right and wrong. And you're not measuring up to that, or you are. And and somebody may need to help you show, may may need to help show you what that objective truth is and help you evaluate how you're processing it. But the guilty feeling, don't just let that go, because it won't go away. You'll figure out some way to make it go away, and it won't be helpful to you, but God's allowing it to go off in order to to help you in in, in sanctification. All right? Else, good. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Sure, thank you, Lord. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for His righteousness. Uh, how overwhelming and futile and hopeless this discussion would be if justification wasn't wasn't a declaration by you that we're righteous even though we're not because of christ i mean if we had to if we had to go through this process in order to get to heaven or to we had to go through the gaining of righteousness we had to be sanctified we had to, we had to do this battle in order to get into heaven you just give up um, but this is a joy knowing that I, I want to do this because i'm saved and secure and I love you, and you love me, and nothing will ever change that. Thank you for that blessing, Lord. Thank you for these men. Give us a victory in this battle. Help us to labor um, and trust in you with the resources. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, next week, here's what I want you to do. I want you to read these verses uh, about the conscience, the importance of a clean conscience. The reality of abused consciences Seared conscience Callous Untrained Overactive Biblically Uninformed And we're going to talk about that uh, Next time So look up these verses About Having a clean conscience Or an abused conscience And we will be back Don't forget Go online Truth and light uh, Register yourself Your wife Your kid, your dog, whoever it is, Mark will take you all.